welcome back to another episode of Well-Lit Path. In Psalm 35, we're going to learn a lesson about our adversaries, our defense, and where our praise should be aimed in victory. But first, how's your week? It might surprise you to know, but I struggle sometimes with study for our time together every week. While it always winds up being beneficial to me, my and my prayer is that it is for you too, I war with my flesh to get it done. It's a classic example of Paul's struggle. The things I know I should do, I don't want to, so I don't do them. The things I know I shouldn't do that aren't beneficial to me, I want to do them, so I wind up doing them. It comes down to want. And it's funny to me that I always had this concept of like Satan and his demons always influencing me to do wrong things. Uh, Like the only time temptation came to me was when devils were bringing them to light and putting them in front of me. And while I would concede at this point in my life that that does happen sometimes, I've also realized that I am really my own worst enemy. See, I don't need to be prodded or pushed by the powers of the air to do wrong or to simply not do right. It's my nature to do or not to do those things. My flesh wants to do the wrong things because it pleases me and my flesh says it's good. But my flesh's concept of good has been corrupted by sin, so I have to rely on the Holy Spirit within me and the influence of God's Word to define those things for me correctly, and then I have to set my mind to pursue them. In Psalm 35, We're going to read of David's struggle with the reality of being hunted by Saul and mocked by and mocked to Saul by Saul's closest confidants. He'll tell us about how they were telling Saul that David was against him and stirring him up to overthrow him. And this fed Saul's animosity towards David. Now, in our modern world and Western civilization, especially as citizens of the U.S., we rarely deal with this type of physical aggressor. While we may suffer some form of social persecution, our lives being on the line daily is not a fear we live with. Uh, In other parts of the world, this is real, and Christians live with that fear every day. But what I'd like to look at through this passage is through the lens that we are our own worst enemy, and Satan and his hosts taunt our flesh and accuse us before our Creator and Lord, much like he did with Job, daily. And we'll do that by breaking the passage down thematically, as we have before with longer passages, rather than verse-by-verse exposition. But let's get into the text, Psalm 35, beginning in verse 1. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of the shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear. And stop the way against them that persecute me, say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. For without cause have they hid me in their net in a pit. 
which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let destruction come upon him unawares, and let his net that he hath hid catch himself. Into that very destruction let him fall. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which delivereth the poor from him that is too strong for him? Yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. The false witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into mine own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been of my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in mine adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. With hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without cause. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eye hath seen it. Well, this hast thou seen, this thou hast seen, O Lord, keep not silence. O Lord, be not far from me. Stir up thyself and awake to my judgment, even unto my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Lord, my God, according to thy righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, ah, so would we have it. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at mine hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. In verses 1 through 10, David kind of has a, a structure here where he's saying, Lord, protect me from mine enemies. And I would say for us, from ourselves. Now, David begins with asking for kind of a legal protection in verse 1, but then he quickly pivots in the same verse to, nah, you know what, Lord? Could you just go to war for me? I know I pray kind of the same sometimes. And don't you? When we look at our flesh as our primary enemy, it's easy to have the thought process of, but I've been redeemed. That means I've been made new. 
I won't have the desires I used to have. I won't struggle the way I used to with doing the right things, the things that God wants and expects of me. And man, if only that were true. How much easier would it be for us through salvation if our whole body was redeemed from all sinfulness? That isn't how it works, is it? In salvation and the washing of the blood, our souls are made righteous, not our bodies just yet. And this is why we're a new creature. We're quickened, a a made alive soul, but still trapped in a sin-corrupted body. It would be much easier if both were done at the same time. So see, while our soul's desires have changed, our body's desires remain the same. Now, eventually, we'll be given a new body, praise God, just like Christ's glorified body. And in that body, we'll no longer have to deal with the corruption inherited from Adam. Like the body of the new Adam, our redeemed and made righteous soul will finally be eternally coupled with a body that is just as righteous and pure, never having known sin and never to know death. But sadly, we're not there yet. So we live daily with our enemy. We live daily with our redeemed souls literally surrounded by the enemy it strives against our own flesh and blood. But we tend to ask for help in this legal sense. Lord, could you just plead my cause to my body? Could you please just tell my body to give me a day without struggle? Lord, you've made me whole. Could you make my body more whole too? Just so I don't have to war with it. And so often we approach our temptations and desires this way. We want to be rid of them rather than fight them. And we have to realize, as David did very quickly, that this is more than just a courtroom battle. This is all-out war. We, we can't reason with our flesh. We can't barter with it. We can't have a trade-off, a little give here in exchange for a reprieve there. See, this isn't a negotiation. When we struggle, it's the biblical struggle. It, so often... We think of struggles as like the modern day wrestle. It's kind of a back and forth where sides are awarded points. It's easy to stomach a less violent approach to our flesh. We think of fight like a, a schoolyard brawl where both contenders walk away a little beat up, but able to continue. We've got to stop thinking about our flesh that way. Our flesh is our adversary. And it has an army of principalities waiting to support it. Our flesh and those principalities, they want to annihilate us. It wants to break us. And like David, we should be calling on the Lord to make war for us, to violently contend against our adversary, the external prince of this world and the internal flesh that wants to give in to every temptation. We're powerless against any of it ourselves. Like David, we have to cry out for help in every temptation. We should be crying, Lord, take up the spear for me, instead of, Lord, could you kind of grab that stun gun for me over there? 
See, David says, I want my enemy gone. And we would be wise to do the same. The utter destruction of our fleshly desires is what we should be striving for and asking for help with. This is a battle. And while our flesh is strong and has many allies in this world, we're indwelt by none other than the Lord of hosts. The Bible calls him Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of war. He is a God of love. But David understood more than any man the balance of a God of love and a God of war. David was a cunning warrior, a violent man of battle, able to execute violence in the most terrible way on his enemies and the enemies of God. Yet the same man was also capable of being led by still waters by God, having his soul restored by the love of God. He was a man who wept when he was betrayed and when he sinned against God. He knew that if he could be both, how much more could the God that created him be both and even more perfectly so? So when it comes to our real enemies in this world, the unseen and the flesh we see in the mirror, we need to combat them like it's life and death. We have to ask for God to conquer them. We have to ask for their destruction. I would say even plead for it. We should say, God, help me destroy these fleshly desires that want to lead me and give, and give in to temptation today. Lord, conquer this sin in my life in your power. Destroy it because I can't in my own power. And as we see our God deliver on exactly what we ask, how then could we not praise him? How can we not be joyful? Joyful because one, he answered our prayer when we prayed according to his will. And two, not only did he answer our prayer, he conquered on our behalf when we submitted in love to his will. Our flesh is too strong for us alone. The principalities of the air and our adversary, the devil, are too strong for us alone. The little G God of this world is too strong for us alone. But not for God. Who is like him? No one. He's unmatched in the universe, in time and space. We can rejoice when he conquers for us in so much that we should feel it in our bones. Do we ever allow the victory of God in our lives to be felt as deeply as our personal victories? Do we feel the victory of God as a lightness in our bones? Do we feel it like a fire in our hearts, a clarity in our minds? Do we allow God's deliverance to refresh us, not just spiritually, but physically? Because while we are poor and needy, in God we find riches and fulfillment. He alone can provide all that we need, including desperate victory over the enemy of our flesh. Now, verses 11 through 18, David goes into a, an argument or justification for 
being rewarded by God for his righteousness that he finds in God simply so he can give God glory. He moves on to how he's wished good for his enemies, and yet they still betray him. And isn't that just like our flesh and our external enemies? It's so frustrating sometimes when I know someone at work will talk about me behind my back, but yet come to me asking for me to pray for some event or trouble in their lives. Now, I will say as a matter of conviction that the Holy Spirit made me aware of just now that I don't pray for my coworkers without their solicitation enough. You know, I should do that more. We should do that more. How can we expect our coworkers to know Christ if we don't pray for their salvation and the opportunity to share Christ with them? But when it comes to our enemies, our own mind and our spiritual adversaries do a great job of accusing us, don't they? Twisting even things we've done with good intent against us. Causing us sometimes to doubt good things we do for God. You know, I struggled when I started to write for the podcast this week because I started to write with the wrong intent. Um, Every now and then I'll fall into uh, this just evil thought process, this fleshly thought process. Uh, Let's see how smart I can be with God's word today. But I was having a difficult time gleaning any truth from the passage, so I had to stop and I had to pray. Lord, my flesh wants to make this about me and how cleverly I can interpret your word. But I'm not clever. I'm not good. I had to ask the Lord to help me set my pride aside and help me overcome my own desires for recognition and for him to speak to me in this psalm. And you know what? Here we are. Yet my flesh still wants to get in my head and it starts saying things like, so how many times then do you think you've interpreted in your own way? Do you even do the podcast for God or is it for you? You know, our flesh is good at knowing where we're weak and vulnerable and so does the devil. Our flesh will slander all of our godly intentions and the accuser, the devil, will will orchestrate doubt in our minds. And both will rejoice when they see us falter and they see us fail. Both love to see us give in to their accusations and stop doing things for God because they've convinced us that we're doing it for them. But the devil's a liar. He's good at it. So it's very easy for his influence to lead our own flesh, which is sinfully pre-programmed to listen, to help the lies and sell us the lies. But when we stop and look, well, wait a minute. The Lord rewarded me for being faithful in that situation. And people have told me what a blessing and influence that's been in their lives. You know, stop and think of all the times that you've served the Lord and he's rewarded your faithfulness. It's okay. 
Rejoice in what you've been able to do in his service and pass the glory on to him. Because even if we started to do something godly for the wrong reason, we can still turn it to his glory if we lay the results at his feet. It's in these moments of accusation that we can call on God, Lord, I could use some help. Lord, are you going to let them accuse me? Are you going to fight so that I can give you glory? It's okay to ask God to uphold his word to us. It's okay to tell him how we're really feeling. You see, he doesn't want these contrite and rehearsed prayers from us. He doesn't want to hear our repetition. He wants us to be real. And don't we think he knows anyway? Don't we believe that? He wants us to be broken before him. We've got no image to maintain. He knows the darkest secrets we keep, the side that we let no one else see. David dared to be spiritually naked before God, and then he thanked and praised God publicly. The key is that we give him the glory for clothing us in his righteousness, for fighting on our behalf. That when we're betrayed by those we've trusted, when our flesh betrays us to sin again because we're weak, that when we accuse ourselves of being less than worthy and Satan reinforces that thought, that we give God the glory that those things are not true. That we rejoice that they're not true. Because finally, David says in, 19, in verses 19 through 28, show them how good you are to prove that I'm yours. You know, just like the devil somehow believes he'll win in the end, our flesh believes it can continue to get the better of us as well. But if our flesh can get us to stumble, the devil can use that to discourage the others around us. Oh, look at that Christian sinning. Guess his faith in God is weak. Now that must mean God is weak. But these instances are even more of a reason for us to cry to God to vanquish that sin, allowing him to prove that he is good and that he is all-powerful and that we are his and that he loves us. So that others can see that and they can be beneficiaries of his love too. This should lead them to see that and believe that because they see it in us. They can be beneficiaries of his power. They can be partakers in the victory that he provides. God's never going to let us get to a place where the enemies of our faith can say, yep, we won. We swallowed him up. He's defeated. But we shouldn't discount that we can put ourselves in a position where they could say, Oh, look, they're down right now. They lost a battle right now. But one day, one day we'll be as clothed in righteousness in our new bodies as we are clothed now in our redeemed souls. 
the shame of our sinful flesh will be behind us. It'll no longer be able to accuse us because it will be finally dead. And while our new flesh will be glorious in every way, we must be patient for that day. The death of our current flesh will be but a welcome release for us who know the Savior. No more accusations of the devil and his principalities. No more the thoughts that cause us to doubt. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And when we have that eternal victory, when we have that final release, we'll all shout and praise him together. And let's not discount the benefits of sharing struggles and their victories with our brothers and sisters while we're here on earth. You know, we, we seem to have somehow cultivated this culture in churches that loves to talk of needs rather than praise. And even sometimes when we praise, it's a need disguised as praise. Like, uh, I'd like to praise the Lord that I was in an accident today and my car just needs some minor repairs. This is a classic prayer request disguised as a praise. What we could do is just, hey, you know what? I'd like to thank God for his protection and the way that he continually provides for us and blesses us. And we could go so far as to say specifically how he protected us in an accident today, but we could just leave it at that. How uplifting is it when we hear of a victory in someone's life? I know it uplifts me. Our cause is righteous. It's the most righteous work we could ever be committed to. Our cause or our fight is to share the gospel with the world and let them see how we conquer and how mighty the Lord is, how great our God is. And then to let them know that he can be their God too? What greater testimony of his love for them? of his love for us. God is magnified when we prosper. This, this word prosperity means that when we have peace, like the peace on the other side of a war, God is pleased when we find our peace in him. When we're safe in his protection, when we allow him to fight for us and when we give the temptations over to him, and he's also magnified. That means his greatness is showcased or put on display. When we stop fighting on our own and let him fight on our behalf, clinching the victory the moment that we do. And while the evidence of the victory may not be immediate, God secured the victory the moment we called on him and put it in his hands. You know, when we look at the passage, David wasn't immediately delivered. We know from the historical accounts in the Bible, he wasn't immediately delivered from Saul after he wrote this psalm. It was many years before God showed evidence to the world of the victory he secured because David gave the battle to him. But I can imagine that when David brought this psalm to the people as a new worship song, it became the tune that rolled off the lips of housewives as they did laundry, men as they worked in the field, and in the hums of children as they laughed and played. 
See, when our tongues speak of how righteous our Lord is and the miracle of how he's made us righteous, it's difficult for our enemies to stand up to the sounds of his praise that we utter all day long. In closing, as I began to study this psalm, I was reminded kind of of a poem that I wrote when I was much younger. So I got like super excited and I pulled it out to share it with you. But in reading it back, I realized that the theology of it was flawed. Well, when I finished this psalm, I went back and I rewrote it. And while I want to remind everyone that poetry can be very... Um, it provides pictures and sometimes takes artistic license in how it portrays things. Um, and in this particular poem, I'm portraying a scene that plays out in our hearts. But my prayer is that it's a blessing. It was a blessing to me in writing it. But more than that, that it's a praise and a testament to God's victories in our lives. Principalities lie in wait, a quickened soul views sin. It lies there just outside the room, it beckons, let me in. A spark ignites, desire swells, the flesh is weak indeed. The battle rages on within, the conflicting of need. A whisper carries from the door, it, from without, it's okay to open the door. But the redeemed heart knows the truth. The sin will just want more. Fiery eyes lurk all around as eager cackles go unheard. The soul takes a step toward the door. Evil's lips begin to curl. The Holy Spirit warns again it is stronger than the doubt. The word inscribed upon the heart bathe the soul and enter the bout. The battle rages moments more, then swift the doors closed. Christ is where the victory's at. That sin's not needed anymore. The report reaches the accuser. Once again, the cross has won. But the battle will rage another day until all time is done. Does our soul yearn for the open door that lets the sin come in? Or do we lay our flesh down at his feet and conquer one more sin? Our flesh remains the enemy, assisted by dark powers, but praise be to the King of Kings. Through him, the victory's ours. Hey, thanks for walking with me a while as we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week? And we'll walk just a little further. If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.